You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Very well us talking about how great it is to go and do some of these things. But some questions remain. For example, what are you going to do about it? And what's stopping you? And what can we do to be active? What can we do to be proactive? How can we be deliberately and urgently being a blessing to our community? So yeah, as I say, I think we're going to go out with a bang. I think this sermon series, I think focusing on being a blessing to other people could be a catalyst for years and years of fruitful and effective outreach for this church. But it's not going to happen unless we actually start going. Enough talk, let's go. Um, Along the way, I would hope that as well as answering some of those questions like how are we going to go and what's stopping us, that we just get to see today a little bit of the heart that God has for London, the heart that he has for your community, and how he really wants to partner with you in doing some amazing, very adventurous things. So you up for that? Should we do it? Great. We're going to kick off with a verse. This verse is the Great Commission. So these are Jesus' words to the people who would essentially become the early church leaders. And these are his words that he says just before he ascends into heaven. He says, come on, guys. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's Matthew 28. We could do a whole sermon series on the importance of baptism. That's very much a going, doing thing. We could do a whole sermon series on the importance of good biblical teaching about Jesus. But we're just going to do a whole Sunday today on this one word. Go. Enough talk. Let's go. We're not going to wait around. We're going to hit three convictions that we have as a church about mission. Three convictions we have about this, the Great Commission. And I'm going to refer to the Great Commission throughout as this, the starting pistol. So the starting pistol, the go, let's get on with it, is going to be our focal point. Three things. Firstly, the starting pistol is not up for discussion. Secondly, the starting pistol isn't about individual results, but it's about adventurous partnership. And thirdly, The starting pistol isn't for another time or another place. It's for now and it's for your community. Thanks, Joseph. I'm not going to hold any punches. We're going to go for it. We're going to say this starting pistol is resounding in this hall today. And as we leave, we're going to do some things different about it. Otherwise, we could just have another sermon every week and just carry on talking about it, couldn't we? Enough talk. Let's go. So, number one, the starting pistol isn't up for discussion. So the Great Commission to go and advance the gospel, to take the good news of Jesus to the world, is Jesus calling us to go and call others to him. And it's not something that we're told is about discussion or is about debate. It's a command. It is the Great Commission. Jesus is given instructions and bang, you've got the starting pistol. It's not a suggestion, it's a commission. This isn't a drill, Redeemer. We're doing this. We're in a race. We're going to go for it. The starting pistol's gone. We're not going to be found standing there. We're going for it. This wasn't up for debate in the early church. You see guys immediately going out and getting involved in it. It's not up for debate in 2017. And I'm telling you, it's not going to be up for debate in Redeemer. We do this. We go. We bless. We get on mission. Um, Charles Spurgeon is savage. Charles Spurgeon says this. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. It's like... That's his whole sermon just there. (laughs) You're either on mission 
or you're not a Christian. So I think for Charles H. Spurgeon, our friendly man with a cane, which I really hope one day I'll be able to do something similar to that when I'm older. Um, Charles Spurgeon, to him, the essence of being a Christian is going. is going and going and going. To live your life as a missionary wherever you live. So we've been talking about blessing. So we've been talking about praying for people, listening to people, eating with people, serving people, sharing stories with people, and being a genuine blessing to people. But all of this is a model that we're talking about of going, of being proactive, of doing things in our community. And it's not just for some people to be involved in. Jesus says, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He doesn't make, I'll make some of you fishers of men. He doesn't say, you know, later on when you graduate as a Christian, you're a special Christian, you can go. He's like, follow me, we're fishers. We're straight on it. We're getting involved. He prays as well. He says, Father, just as you've sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. So it's just as much as Jesus has been sent, we have been sent. And goodness me, Jesus, our great example, he was sent, wasn't he? He was really sent. He refers to himself 39 times just in the book of John as being sent, as being a goer, as being on mission. He heard the starting pistol. He left heaven. He left his culture, if you like, to come and reach people who would have otherwise never been restored to life to the max and relationship with the Father. He heard that starting pistol. He went, and he's saying, now you guys go and do the same. So yeah, the starting pistol isn't up for discussion. Mission isn't for extra serious Christians. And Paul states the obvious in the New Testament. He says, how will people know? if you don't tell them. How are people going to hear if we don't tell them? The gospel is a message that real people like Redeemer take to real people like Ealing, like your neighbors, like this community. So the steps of B-L-E-S-S are for you. They're for you to take hold of, to go for, to grab. Um, It used to be thought maybe when you'd use the word missionary, that it would be somebody who would pack up all of their possessions, put them on a container, go off to another country. I want to put it the other way to you today and say that probably not many of us in the room will be called to go and do that, but people are moving to Ealing. People have got removal vans. So it's not us loading all of our stuff out and saying, this is how we do it. It's that when a removal van turns up on your street, maybe to your flat, maybe to your halls of residence, as we see a scene like this, okay, these people are clearly staged, and this is clearly not London, and they've got a lot of grass, and those boxes don't look like they've got anything in it. But you see a removal van, and you say... As a church and as Christians, we do this. We go to them. We talk to them. These are people moving to London. They don't know anybody. They could do with a meal, couldn't they? They could do with some friends. Oh, we could listen to them. So it's not so much we're going to pack all our possessions and go. People are turning up on our doorstep. I want to challenge you, church. If you see someone move into your street, you say, we do this. We do this. This is what going is about. Okay. So mission isn't an add-on at Redeemer. It's not an optional extra. It's a priority. And if we as a church can build a church so that mission and going is at the forefront, everything else will benefit. Our worship will benefit. Our preaching will benefit. Our community work, our reach to the poor, our care for each other will benefit. Because if church is just about Christians, there's no unbelievers around, there's no new believers around, things get a little bit samey, don't they? Christians become a bit boring Church becomes a little bit just about us. I dare to say even that we start answering questions that no one's even asking. And we don't want that to be the type of church we are. Mission will invigorate everything in Redeemer if we really go for it. Okay, so that's point one. It's not up for discussion, we're going to go for it. Why doesn't everyone just stand to their feet for a second?
full of enthusiasm. Right, so we are today saying there's a starting pistol. There's a starting pistol. So I want you to get some type of pose like you're about to head off. So obviously, if you're like doing a long distance one, you don't have to get on your knees, but everyone's like ready to go. If you want to really get into it, if you're really spiritual, you get it right down your knees like this, and you're going to go. I want it, everything we talk about, our starting pistol is not up for discussion. We're going to leave the hall today saying we're going for it. Right, sit down. We've got lots more starting pistol stuff to talk about. Okay, the starting pistol isn't about individual results. It's about adventurous partnership. I've got a conviction from God that blessing and being on mission isn't just about me, but it's about a partnership with him. It's about me grabbing hold of what he wants to do. But I think also partnering for mission and partnering to bless is about partnering with each other, isn't it? You don't do it on your own. Okay, we'll go back to that verse then, the starting pistol verse. And what you've got is Jesus starting by saying, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. Now, if all authority is Jesus, he could reveal himself to anybody he wants, anytime, and he can, and he will. But in the Old Testament, we see God talks to people through a donkey. I will have no comments about that also happening this morning, but you see God speaks to people through a burning bush. You see God speaks to people through angels. He doesn't need us. All authority has been given to him, but he'd like us to be involved, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he? Here's a partnership that God's saying, you know what, all authority has been given to me, but I'd like you to go. So why? Why? Why would he possibly want to have us involved? Um, I'm going to show you a picture of me as a kid. And um, I'd like you to imagine, I'm I'm the one in the middle with the Thunderbirds t-shirt, obviously. Everyone else has got a school uniform on, not me, Thunderbirds. Um, Imagine me as a kid this age, my dad... His job at the time was to build um, prototype models out of plastic of electrical goods. So he'd make things that didn't work, but they looked awesome. And I would love to go to his workshop. Um, I had a little uh, leather jacket and a little helmet because he had a motorbike, and I'd sit on the back and hold on really tight to him. I felt like the king of the world on the back of his motorbike. And I'd go to his workshop, and he'd have this massive stereo, and he'd be blasting out these songs. And I'd be like, I've got to get myself a stereo. And I was very young, so I didn't have a stereo. But he'd have all these tools, and he'd have loads of super glues, and he'd be doing all this stuff with plastics. And I'd think, oh, man, I've got to get myself some glue. You know, I've got to get a whole load of tools. The more that I saw him doing his work, the more I just wanted to be like him. I was like, oh, man, you're my hero. I'd love to do some of this stuff as well. But, I mean, if I ever actually visited the workshop, I wasn't allowed to touch anything. I mean, they got big machines that I could have broken and, you know, important things that he was making that I definitely would have broken. So I was of no use to him in that context. So I think God says, I've got all authority, but I want you to go, partly because he knows that if you go on a venture with him, if you get involved in the work that he is doing, you're just going to want to be more like him. You're going to say, you're my hero. You know what? Okay, I'm praying for this person. I'm doing begin with prayer. I'm starting to pray for him. I think, God, you really want to save them. You really want to heal them. You know, God, you're patient with this person. I'm going to be patient with them. You know what? As I'm starting to eat with them and listen to their story, I'm starting to get, God, you know what? You really want to forgive them. You want to change their lives. But if you're not beginning with prayer or listening or eating or serving or sharing your story, you're missing out on the fact that God wants to do all these things. You're missing out on that adventurous partnership of saying, we're doing this. And to be honest, he's doing it. The partnership is mostly him. Like we, I'm, I'm big in ourselves if we say it's a partnership. It's not a 50-50. Um, but that's it. God wants to, us to get to know his way, his kingdom, his heart, his work. 
on adventure with him. Um, I mentioned this idea, or I'd like to mention this idea of us being a, a pipeline of God's blessing. So this whole blessed thing is that God wants to bless people and we're just going to be like a conduit, like a pipeline of his best blessing. PJ Smythe puts it really, really well. He also doesn't hold his punches. He says, you're a conduit for God. That's a strong team, mostly because God's in the team. You're the pipe and he's the power. The magnet of God is drawing people to himself through you. And remember that God is deeply committed to winning people. Jesus wants to save people more than you do. In his first three years of ministry, the first thing he did was to save his disciples. And the last thing he did before dying was to save the thief on the cross. He goes on to say, then, before ascending to heaven, he commissioned, boom, starting pistol, his followers to carry on where he left off. And now in heaven, I don't know if you think about this when you say, I want heaven to come. But in heaven, rather than relaxing with his feet up, being tickled by angels, Jesus is earnestly praying that his people would be saved. So if we say, God, I want your kingdom to come, I want heaven to come, we think about clouds and we think about everything being perfect. Actually, what's happening in heaven at the moment is Jesus saying, I'm in this game. We're doing this. I've done the starting pistol. We're in this. Let's get on with it. So, yeah, we don't have to think it's all about us. That would lead to either pride, if there's good results out of it, or despair if nothing happens. Instead, there are certain things only God can do, aren't there? Only God can really change and transform lives. But we're this conduit of his blessing. We're this people having the starting pistol gone, saying it's not about my individual results, but it's about an adventurous partnership. I want to tell you just for a second about London. Um, Kezia and I moved to London almost five years ago. And as I have been involved in trying my best to get on mission in London, I've started to realize how much God loves London, how much of a heart he has for it. We're a church in London to reach London. I think it's important that every now and then we say, God really, really wants to transform London. I want to raise your faith that he does. Why does God love cities? Why does God love London? There's a lot of people and God really loves people. So London is growing twice as fast as anywhere else in the UK. London is dense and diverse. There's more people per square mile than anywhere else. There's all languages, religions, socioeconomic backgrounds. And not only do so many citizens of the world live in London, but the trends and the culture of society are set in London, not just for the UK, no, for Europe and for the whole world. It's a massively influential place. Think, you've got airports, you've got universities, you've got politicians, banking centers, entertainment industries, fashion Redeemer, I want to tell you, if we reach London, if London changes, the world changes. If those people change, meet Jesus, worship Jesus, goodness me, the world will change. The rest of the UK will change. It's interesting, Paul went around cities and he talked about pagans. Pagans, actually, the, the original word kind of meant farm people. He's like, we've got to start with a city and do the big stuff in the city. And what will happen is the trickle-down effect will be that everyone will be changed in the, in the country. And I think that's true of London. This is why we're ch- ch- church by London, isn't it? <laughs> Come on, we've got to go for it. I think also with our student work that me and Kezia and others lead, I think people move to London a lot, don't they? And so you've got people moving in. They're already making a massive change in their life. Maybe it's a new job, maybe a new course. They're moving in and suddenly everything's changed in their life. And we talked already about the removal van and you're going to stand up and say, we do this. But that removal van signifies people who have already got a need for friendship and a meal and an offer and a long-lasting friendship can flourish out of that. But I like to think about when students move to the borough, I like to think you're already going through changes. 
Why not have the greatest change? Why not have the most significant change? Why not would that be an open time for you to have not only a change in your postcode, but a change in your eternal residence? I think people are in flux when they move to London. God wants to change people in London. 200,000 people move from overseas to London every year. 130,000 kids, 2014, 2015. That's the average of how many kids are born in London. There's a lot of people that need to be reached. So let me tell you this. If you're new to London, God has got you here for a reason. God wants you to be a missionary to this city. Not just for the people who already live here, but, I mean, that's 200,000 people plus 130,000 people and loads of other people who move from the UK. The people who are going to move to London in the next few years, you're here, you are here, and you've heard that starting pistol, and you're going for it. We can B-L-E-S-S amazing amounts of people as they move here. It's about London. I think God's got a great heart for London. Let's go for it. Okay. Let's take a pit stop. We've been kind of 100 miles an hour. Let's take a pit stop. I think there are a couple of different categories of situation in our lives that might mean we don't respond to this starting pistol. So remember, the starting pistol isn't up for discussion. And it's not about our results. It's about this great partnership. But some people might just be sitting on the track and thinking, you know what? I'm not in this. I'm not in this yet. And so we're just going to take a pit stop and look at those two different people. And I'd love, if you feel like this is you, we're going to have some response time at the end. I'd love you just to be honest and open and put your hand up and say, I'm in this. I'm going to get prayer for this. I'm going to get back in the race. Firstly, you might have gone for it in the past. So you might have gone and said, I'm going to do lots of good blessing of other people, lots of evangelism, lots of mission. I've heard sermons about it before. And it's just gone badly. You feel burnt and you just feel like, you know what? This is hard. It was hard. It still is hard. I don't feel ready to go and do it again. I want to tell you three things to encourage you, and I'd love to pray for you. The first encouragement is this. The Great Commission ends with Jesus saying, and I am with you until the end of the age. So if you imagine yourself like you were standing earlier on, ready to go off the starting pistol at the start, Jesus is there with you. And you're halfway through, and he's there with you. And you get towards the end, and he's there with you. This isn't a solitary race. The starting line isn't a lonely place. Jesus is saying, I'm with you all the way. We love to talk about God and the Holy Spirit. We love to talk about how the Holy Spirit is, is a God, how we experience him, maybe even in a meeting. But sometimes we underplay the fact that there's a missional aspect to God, the Holy Spirit. I honestly feel like if we don't put enough emphasis on the missional aspect of God, the Holy Spirit, we can reduce our missional potency as a church. I want to tell you, God, the Holy Spirit, this morning wants to fill you with missional potency. You're not on your own. God wants to do this. There have been times in my life where I've been praying for somebody or just praying, God, come and fill me. I've just had this sense of, oh, faith. God wants me to do this. It's not that I'm just on my own. It's that God's already doing something. He's grabbing me and saying, let's partner in it. I believe God wants to do that for some people this morning. Quickly, second and third points for those people who feel a bit burnt out. God wants this to be about you and him reaching out in love. It's not a sense of you've got to get results. It's not. I can tell you, God is not looking at your past, present, or future numbers. That's not how it works. This is God and you reaching out in love. Don't worry about that. He's looking at your current obedience, and I think that's all you need to know. Okay, thirdly then, maybe you've done mission, you've done evangelism a lot before, and you're feeling a bit burnt out. Let me tell you this. There's power in the Word of God. The gospel is so powerful, more powerful than anything that's caused you a roadblock before, more powerful than atheism or neo-atheism in London, more powerful than there being a culture of cynicism in London. The gospel is more powerful than that. 
more powerful than your sin or others' sin or any other roadblocks. Let me tell you, the gospel is the most powerful. The word of God is the most powerful in this situation, not your disappointment. Let's come today. If you feel disappointed, let's get prayer, fill you up. Let's go for it. People's cities' lives change when the power of God comes. Destinies change, and it can be you that takes part in that. Okay, so secondly, other people who might not be throwing themselves in, getting involved off the starting line, and I'm going to put myself in this category. I've been preparing this. I find this a challenge, just like I find Savage Spurgeon a challenge, saying that I'm not a Christian if I don't do mission. I find this a challenge. I think a lot of us worship our own comfortable, convenient lives. We've got a lot of stuff in life that just makes our life easier, and we spend money on that because we want our lives to be easier. It's true, isn't it? We don't like being uncomfortable. <laughs> we don't like being inconvenienced. So I'll be honest with myself. You know, with you guys about myself. So I'll come home from work. I've got my headphones on. I come from central London to North Acton, get off the tube. I haven't talked to anyone on that tube. <laughs> and then I get off and I walk to our flat and then I get in the lift and I might still have my headphones on. Oh, there's other people in the flat I could talk to them. It's a bit inconvenient, isn't it? It's a bit uncomfortable, especially in the lift. I get out and come to a front door and grab a drink and sit down with Kez and Mike and think, ah, oh, relief at last from the world. Because <laughs> I like to be comfortable. I like things to be convenient. What am I going to do that evening? What am I going to do that Saturday, that Sunday afternoon? It's a bit inconvenient, isn't it? It's a bit uncomfortable. And so we end up just standing at the start line still. We might know that God wants to partner with us. We might know that it's not all about our results. Those are good theological things to have in your head, but still pretty inconvenient, isn't it? Oh, you want me to begin with prayer? Okay, you want me to listen to people? Oh, what, build long-term friendships, eat with people, serve them? Oof. Oh, life's busy. I'm not saying life isn't busy. Life is busy. I'll tell you about a guy in the Bible. God calls him. Boom. Starting pistol. Go to a city. And as soon as that starting pistol goes, he turns around and just runs in the opposite direction. So Jonah is called to a city and is not interested. He's got a relationship with God, but what he's saying is, oh, that's fine as long as it doesn't interfere with the way I want to live my life. Oh, it's going to be inconvenient and uncomfortable. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I'll have your mercy and your grace. Yeah, yeah, I'll have your love. That's real nice. But you know what? I'm just going to run in the opposite direction. We're called by a God who's gone through a fair amount of discomfort and inconvenience for us. The hero of this story, the hero of the whole Bible is Jesus. And when we look to him for an example of going out of a comfort zone and going into inconvenience, he came out of perfection and died on a cross so that you and I had a chance then to be reconciled with God. Our example is Jesus, not Jonah. Our example is, you know what? The tiny discomfort that it takes to pray for someone, to eat with somebody, to serve. Jesus has done it all for us. As we break bread and have communion in a minute, I want you to come to the table and just thank God. God, you weren't worshipping comfort and convenience. You were saying, it's you and your soul that I'm going to die for, I'm going to go for. Jesus heard that starting block and he was off like an absolute piston. He just went for it. Totally inconvenient, totally uncomfortable. But it was for you. It was for you. Oh God, we're so grateful that you didn't desire comfort and convenience more than us and our redemption. So Jonah finds himself in a fish and he has this moment. God's come to collect him. It's like God sent like an Uber to get him, but it's like just a fish. And God comes and collects him. He's inside the fish and he has this moment of just saying god we need to talk about this i've not been on this journey i've not been running i've not been going for it 
And there's a moment there where God just restores him and he goes for it again. And I want to tell you this morning, God wants to restore you to go. That maybe in a minute, you're just going to have a moment in a fish where you say, God, I just need to talk about this. I'm about comfort and convenience and I want to be about you. I want to go for it. You don't need to know all the plans. You just need to have in your heart a current state of obedience. And I encourage you towards that this morning. Peter's a bit like this in the Bible as well, isn't he? New Testament then, Peter abandons God, abandons Jesus, abandons the calling on his life. What does Jesus do? How does Jesus approach you this morning if you've not gone out on mission? Well, he gently, lovingly, like a really good, patient father says, shall we go over this again? Shall we talk about this again? If you're a parent here, you're probably thinking, there are times where my kids are giving me a really clear instruction. I say, go for it. And they're like, oh, we'll go over this again, shall we? Oh, okay, it's only been one minute. We'll go over this again, shall we? Oh, 10 minutes later. Uh, shall we go over this again? We'll go over this again. Okay, cool. Okay, 10 minutes later. So we're just going to take a pit stop. We're just going to go over this again. And God is a patient father with you this morning. Just like he was with Peter, Jesus is going to take you to one side and say, you know what? Let's just go over this again. I love people in healing. I love your neighbors. Let's do this. Come on, let's partner together. Okay, that's my encouragement to you. Um, really briefly, in terms of partnering, we've talked about them partnering with God and these things that would stop us partnering. And I'm saying, let's go for it. But also we partner with each other, don't we? So Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. He's saying that as you bring unbelieving friends into the overall community of Redeemer, then they will sense and see the love of God in action in your lives. So you might be the person to draw maybe somebody from your community into this church community, but it might be somebody else who loves them and serves them. It might be somebody else who has a gospel conversation with them. This isn't a lonely race at all. So, second point. Starting pistol is not about individual results. It's about adventurous partnership. So let's go for it. Okay, last point then. Bring this into land. The starting pistol means right now and right in your community. I almost feel like that says it itself. It's right now and it's right in your community. This is why Redeemer was planted. If you don't know much about the history of the church, this is why Redeemer was planted. Because there's a right nowness to the gospel. There's an urgency. There's a deliberateness of saying, let's get on with this. And our community is London. There's a lot of people. We're called to put those in our immediate community before our own desires, our own comfort, our convenience. And that starts even this week. We tell you, it's, it's possible to introduce somebody to Jesus if you don't know them well. It's possible. But that's not the norm, I'd say. In my experience, the usual way for that to happen is on the back of a meaningful relationship. And Yvette shared really well about this last week. That can take months or even years to develop. So we need to embed ourselves in communities. So a few years at university, that's a community, isn't it? Maybe a bit of a longer stint in a job, that's a community, isn't it? Okay, cool. So what about us saying, we're in for the long haul. I'm going to live in my flat for more than just six months. I'm going to resist the urge just to be really anxious and move out, move on, get itchy feet. Come on, we've got to get on with life. I'm going to say, I'm here for the long haul. I'm going to be in a community for a few years. That's how you build long-term relationships. Settle in for the long haul. I think it's true to say that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that's what this BLESS model is all about. So here's a challenge to you. Who in your community knows that you care? If the answer's nobody, you know what to do this week then, don't you? You do. You begin with prayer. Okay, start listening. Offer to eat with them. You know the steps. I'm not going to go over them again. But if there are people in your community who don't know that you care, 
Well, how's that conversation ever going to happen? People don't care what you know until they know what you care. From my perspective, I obviously work a job. I work four days a week. So I go into the office. I've got a choice to see my work as just, oh, just got to get through the day. Or I can say, my desk, the area that I work from is a mission hub. I've got a day to advance the gospel today. And on Wednesdays, my work at the moment, which I'm loving, is looking after my son, which is still work, got to tell you that. And so I can be at home and either say it's just a day at home or I can say, you know what? Our flat is a mission center. It's a blessing pod. It's up to you, isn't it? You can kind of view your day either way, but who knows that you care? Here's a challenge. Paul lays it out this way. I've become all things to all men that by any means I may reach some. Can I say that at work and at home, I'm doing everything I can to unselfishly live for the benefit, the blessing, and the advance of the gospel of those people around me? Am I doing all things? Am I doing everything I can to reach some? It's a challenge. So, we'll end as we started. We'll go through the the steps of the the model. This is a model. This isn't the Bible. The Bible doesn't say go through, bless. It talks about advancing the gospel. It talks about going. But what I think is great about this B-L-E-S-S is it's really proactive. It's giving us a chance, and I'm going to literally give us a five-minute chance now to come up with a list of ideas. It's to say, how can I be as desperately proactive, as go, as starting pistol running as I can, whilst leaving the results and the salvation to God. But how can I be going? So it's getting this kind of balance of patience. Relationships take a long time. But also this sense of there's gospel urgency. And we're kidding ourselves as a church. We don't think there's an urgency to the advance of the gospel. So it's getting this urgency and this patience. A really good thing about the blessed model is we can say, we'll look at the urgency. What can we do now? What can we do now? Okay. So we'll start with praying then. So B, begin with prayer. So it's been five weeks since Pete said, why don't you begin with prayer? How are you doing? Enough talk, let's go. That's my main point today. So how are you doing? Adam has got a list of people in his wallet that he prays for. I've made a little list, put it in my wallet, people I can pray for. What about you? We can all begin with prayer. We're going to leave an awkward silence. What about you? Come on, how are we doing, guys? If this is a good model, if this is us being proactive, how are you doing? Why don't you start praying, God, put me around the right people. And God, please soften their hearts to accept my friendship and soften, my, soften their hearts ultimately to accept a friendship with you. Those are some good prayers we can be praying this week. If each of us prayed for, say, six people, say there's 150 people here, we're hitting 1,000 almost of people that we can be praying for. Come on, church. We could do that. We could do that. That's a thousand people that we're saying, starting piston, pistol, let's go. Let's do it. A thousand people. Boom. Okay. Secondly, then go and listen. We're talking about working hard and cultivating genuine friendships. If you don't have any friendships at the moment of people that you can listen to, then I'm not saying go and make project friends. (laughs) Not at all. I'm talking about making genuine friendships that whatever the gospel result is, you've been a really good, faithful, loving, kind, merciful, encouraging, forgiving friend to them for years. Please go and do that and listen on the way. And if you're not sure, I've kind of come up with a bit of a list of some people that you could think about. Um, 
Now, these aren't people that I'm saying you've got to meet all these people. I'm just saying, if you're lacking ideas of how you can listen to people, then here's some people. Have a quick look through. I'm not saying that you've got to go out and double the busyness by joining a gym and always going to the pub. What I'm saying is people that you already rub shoulders with, how can we use those relationships to listen? You with me? This is a long list of people. If you can't get a single person off that, I mean, come on. Everyone should have some ideas after today's Sunday. Okay, great. So people that we can build genuine friendships to and listen, they would know that you care. Okay. Thirdly then, eat. You got a lunch hour? Everyone's got 21 meals a week, haven't they? And again, I'm not saying an action point for today is to go and become a lot busier, but it's saying what things do you already do that you can just use instead of just saying we're going to get through the day, you're saying this is going to be a day of gospel advance. So as well as being generous with our time and our money and our flats in offering to buy people and share with meals with people, which I think is really important, you could also think about it in terms of where you go to get your hair cut. Can I get my hair cut at the same place every time with the same hairdresser and start to talk to them about going to the pub or coffee shop? Let's go to the same place. Let's meet the same people. Let's be part of our community. Do it together as couples as well. So you're going to eat as a couple. Who else could you eat with? Do it with your kids. You're going to eat as a family. How else can you do it with other people? You guys stimulate with some ideas? Pray for five or six people. That hits a thousand. Listen to people. There's a whole list of friends that was people that have come up. Eat with people. You've got lots of meals in a week. Okay. Serve. I just want to say a, another little throwaway one here. For serving, I like the phrase, be relevant before you try to be right. So I think if you're in somebody's life and you just want to be right, you just want them to know the right thing in this conversation, I think actually serving is a helpful one for us to say, I want to be relevant in your life. I want you and me together to have done stuff. I've taken a genuine interest in what you're into, what you need. Try and be relevant before you try and be right. I think that's a good little principle for us to try and follow. So who are you serving at the moment? And then finally, sharing stories. You might think, I haven't really got a story to share. I shared some really good ones last week. I haven't really got a story to share. Let me tell you this. Andrew said to Peter, I think I've found the Messiah. There's a woman in John 4 who says to her friends, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And a man who's born blind in the gospel says, since I met Jesus, I can see. That's not the same story, is it? That's very different stories. A blind man says, I used to not be able to see. I met Jesus, now I can see. You can't disagree with him. That's not an opinion. That's not controversial. You're not trying to bring a confrontation. You're just saying, you know what happened in my life? I'd encourage you. You can all say something's happened in your life because you met Jesus. And that's what we're talking about, sharing stories. But you want to be relevant before you write. And you want to know that we want people to know that you care before you try and kind of just ram stuff down their throats. But actually, you don't even need to think that the end of this game is like an amazing sermon that you give. No, in fact, if you've done this steps, these steps, this model right, you'll know the type of language that your friends use. You'll know the type of um, engaging conversation. You know what they're about. You know their questions. And so your story is customized to that, isn't it? It's not just a gospel presentation. Okay. I mean, that takes us right back to the start. The pistol goes, the starting pistol goes in the first century. And people go out. And what they're doing is having one-on-one conversations. They're taking it up as their responsibility as followers of Jesus to go and spread the news of Jesus, one person or one family or one group at a time. And they're doing it in a way that's relevant to that century. And the message is timeless. The difference is that quite a lot of us don't see it as our job anymore to go and do it. 
So enough talk, let's go.